Alright, welcome back to another episode of Phenomena Nations. Right now, you're here in Cold Shoulder with Can You. It just had to gain volume again. Alright, like I said, you just heard an absolute banger by Cold Shoulder. Can you? Really, that's one of my favorite songs by them. But anyway, yeah. So you're listening to Phenomena Nation's podcast. I am your host, Max Pichette. Today we got a really good episode for you. We got... We got an interview with Doom Machine. We review Somewhere Between the Truth and the Void, the new album from, or by, Doom Machine. Is it Wednesday today? Let me see. Oh, it's only Tuesday. (laughs) Yay. Anyway, yeah. So, we have, um... A really good episode for you today. And um, I hope you enjoy it because there's a lot of fun stuff today. Like I said, we have an amazing interview with Doom Machine. 
a sludge, hard rock, doom metal band from Nova Scotia. They're really cool guys, and I'm really, I'm happy to have had them on. Sorry if you hear me playing guitar over here, but... It just feels comfortable. Yeah, so like I said, we have a really great episode today. And um, I hope you enjoy it. Have you ever been like... Nah, actually I'm going to save that thought for the end of the episode. But there's no sense in me holding you up. This is just me this is just making it further and further from the Doom Machine interview which I really would like you to hear. So anyway, coming up next We've got another absolute banger coming at you. Oh, what happened? I always have small, just little stupid troubles like that. And, um, anyway, like I said, another absolute banger. We got Bloodprint, one of my favorite modern metal bands with, um, their debut single, Foghorn. So check them out. Like I said, this is Foghorn by Bloodprint, their debut single. Just an absolute banger of a track. These guys are really talented. Go check them out, and I'll leave you to it.
And we are back, of course, to do our weekly... Oh, oh, okay. Sorry about this. Should have done that before. Anyway, uh, like I said, we are going to be doing our album review. Stupid micro. Yeah, so we're going to be doing our album review... Today of the band who we are going to be interviewing this episode, um, Doom Machine. I always think it sounds weird if you say it really fast, like Doom Machine. Like, yeah, you're saying it, but I make sure to say it deliberately. There is a machine who is, who, uh, Doom, Doom Machine. These guys are awesome. They're like a sludge doom band from, uh, oh my, my was drawing a blank, from Nova Scotia, and they're pretty damn awesome. Headphones are still a little hot there. Yeah, so these guys are really awesome. They were they just released a a new album a few weeks ago here. And it is something else. I'll tell you what. It is just so good. It is, um... Why do I keep doing that? No, I don't want that. I want... There we go. Sorry about that. They did a really awesome album recently called "Between Somewhere Between the Truth and the Void, which are all title tracks, by the way. Every phrase in that phrase... What is um is that of a song? So somewhere is a song, the void is a song, the truth is a song. Yeah, so they all have um their own song name. They all have their own song, and it's a really really cool thing, too. Because I I don't think I've ever seen a band with somewhere with four title tracks. On one album. So I thought that was really cool. Sorry sorry about that. I'm just doing some stuff here while I'm recording. Yeah, so... It is a really cool concept. That that on its own really just adds points to the album. Especially because of how good it is. But just looking at that adds points for originality and uniqueness. Which a lot of other... Um, well, I don't think... I, I'm sure it's out there, but I've never heard of a band that did that. So, like I said, I think that's a really interesting and unique thing that they did there with the um, with the four title tracks to um, to be based off of the, the title of the album here. Where... So, of course... Well, not of course, but... Um, the, the first track is The Void... Well, after the prelude um, to the void, and um, yeah, so that's the void is a pretty damn good track, and I think it's a great way to kick off the album. The riffs are great. The solo wait, no, I don't want. I didn't want to talk about that. The um, yeah, but the riffs were great. It was just. 
a heavy song and great to kick off the album with. I think I think the vocal performance on this one was also spectacular. And um, I also think that this was probably one of the strongest songs on the track that could have been put as the first track. There's a song um, that... I think it's um, Somewhere, I believe it is. It's um, That, I think, is the strongest track off the album in terms of music, musicality, just writing lyrics, just the whole thing. I think that's the so- strongest track, but I don't think it would have been the best track to lead off with. I think that is something that was put perfectly in the album. But yeah, like I said, The Void, perfect track to um, open up the album with, especially being so hard and heavy. Like I said, the vocal performance was on point, and I think just a very well put um, song. And um, you will notice, I I suggest listening to this album before finishing this um, review here, because there's some... I actually encourage that with all of my album reviews. Um, yeah, always go and listen to them first, because then you get a little bit more, um, you know, in-depth description of what I'm talking about, and you understand it a little bit more. The second track, Backlash, is another just great song. Such a banger. And I think that this one flows really well with um, The Void, specifically. They were just put really well. And and like I said, that's another strong track, but I don't think it would have been... good for the first track, you know, I just, uh, it didn't have that same, well, I'd say they're pretty even on terms of just awesomeness, but just the way that, um, The Void leads is just something else, it's really just a great song, but anyway, Backlash is just another one of these banger tracks that this album has, one of those ones that you... Like, you could see yourself listening to all the time. It, it would be a great one for the radio, for really anything. Like, parties, playing live, this would be a great one to see. Yeah, and then Never Look Back. Um, Pretty good track, pretty good track. But I think the, the real, like, the, the real, um... Wait, which one is it? Pretty sure the one I'm thinking of is Somewhere. This song is, um, it's right after the song Between, which is... The the, the placement, like I said, is very deliberate. So the Void, Backlash, Never Look Back, Between, and Somewhere... 
Um, oh, no, wait. That, and then um, The Truth is the 10th track. And like I said, these are very deliberately put. So, the song Somewhere is in between The Truth and The Void, the songs. So they were put... <laughs> they were literally put where the title suggests they should be put. Somewhere between The Truth and The Void. Yeah, but anyway, um, Somewhere and Between, um, f- tracks 4 and 5, both straight bangers, probably the best songs on the album in just overall terms. Just, they're heavy, they have great vocals, these ones especially, and they're just, like I said, perfect, well, pretty damn perfect songs, and they really, the, like I said, especially these two, they really show the range of this band, Doom Machine. They really do show the range. They exhibit what they can do. And it's just, they're really versatile tracks as well. And then We Are Your Doom Machine. Just another straight up banger. Threshold. Now this one. This one is a particularly um, favorite track of mine. I really, really enjoyed listening to this one. There's not too much I can say about it because, you know, it kind of just... It's it, it's what every other song on the album is, essentially. Like, not in a bad way, but, you know, it's just the... It is... Th- that's That one is essentially the the album, I would say. It kind of... I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's one that really kind of encapsulates what's on the album in terms of like, man, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but anyway, it's a good track. I'm sorry about that. Um, the eighth track, Regret, this one is a l- quite a bit different than the other tracks on the album. That being said, it, that doesn't mean it's bad. I want to point that out. It's actually a particularly good track. It's a very it, it's a slow song. It um it's it's simply piano and vocals. And that's it, which is strange considering what the rest of the album is. Some people thought it was out of left field, which I can I can agree with that. But, however, I know there were some people that didn't like it as much. I thought it was pretty good, you know. I will say this, though. I feel like there could have been a little bit more depth on the piano, you know, a little bit more... Um, a few more notes, you know, a little bit more fills or whatever. But other than that, it's a solid track. Really good. Like, there's nothing wrong with a slow song every once in a while. And I think without Regret, like, the song Regret, this album wouldn't be as versatile as it is. Like I said, it's a very, very versatile album. Well written. And they have, like I said, everything from just straight up piano acoustic or not uh, piano vocal songs to super heavy sludge songs 
And then Broken Crown is um, one of the songs that they had as a, I think it was the only song they had released as a single pre uh, preluding to the to the album's release. Like I said, another straight, straightforward hard rock sludgy sound, really heavy. Then the tenth track. Oh no! Oh, I'm reading these wrong. That's right, because I had them ordered wrong. I'm sorry, I got the track numbers mixed up, but, you know, if you're not stupid, you can figure it out. I mean, they're all in order, is what I'm saying them in, but the, na- but the numbers are wrong by, like, one. So if you're looking at it right now, just, you know, whatever. Then the best... The best... I would say riff on this album comes on the next track, The Truth. The fourth title track of the album. Just such a, an amazing this the riff is just crazy. The use of harmonics in it is just I can only, like, dream of ever coming up with a riff this good. This riff is so amazing. And that is no joke. It is extremely well written. These guys are really hard rockers. And, um, go check them out. Like I said, this riff... If you don't hear this riff, you will regret it. Because... one of the best riffs I've ever heard in rock or metal. And that's not an exaggeration. It's, it is genuinely one of the best riffs I've ever listened to. And then... Throws of Eternity, the final track... Just, it's a pretty good track, you know? It's, um... If I'm being honest, I wouldn't have... Well, I say I wouldn't have, but also I would have. I say I wouldn't have picked it to be the last track. However... I I also see why they picked it as the last track. It's it's a really cool song. It's, It's a little bit different, but not in a bad way, and I think... You know, now that I, I, I've been thinking this in my head, but now that I actually say it, this is actually a really good track to end off the album. Throws of Eternity. And that's about all I have to say about the um, albums, the songs themselves. Go check out this album. Again, that is Doom Machine. We'll leave links in the description, of course. Doom Machine's new album, Somewhere Between the Truth and the Void. Super good album. If you haven't heard it yet, go and do it. What are you doing? Solid. I'd I'd give this a solid 9 out of 10. There's a few things I feel like, you know, there could have just been like, like I said, on on the album or on the track, Regret. I feel like there could have been a little bit more depth in in like the piano. However, like I said, that's, it's still a solid 9 out of 10. And if I could sum these guys up, I'd say it's like a mixture of CKY, uh, 
corrosion of conformity and like Metallica, you know, maybe like Motorhead, yeah, yeah, these, yeah, that, that, I think, that, like, just combination of those bands, just their, their influences are so, like, awesome, and these are great, great songs, so if you need something a little bit awesome in your life, go check this out. Anyway, coming up next, we've got, um, Somewhere by Doom Machine. Coming up next on Phenomena Nations, we will be right back. shadow of regret darkness I forgo
All right, and you just heard our review of the brand new, pretty brand new, um, album from Doom Machine, Somewhere Between the Truth and the Void, and in on or in honor of that, so whatever we have the guys from the, well, two of two thirds of Doom Machine here to talk about the album and you know anything that comes to mind. So why don't you guys introduce yourself? Sure. So, uh, uh, I'm Ryan. I'm the uh, guitar player and the co-vocalist for the band. I joined back in uh, late 2019-ish. Yeah, I'm uh, Bill. I play bass and I'm the lead vocalist. And I formed the band in 2007. Well, nice to meet you guys. It's um, it's a pleasure finally having you guys on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, I just figured something out as well. You guys are actually the oldest band to be on the show. Woo-hoo! Oh, nice. Veteran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I remember stripes here. I haven't yet. <laughs> yeah, he's still the new guy. <laughs> well, we got one one of the original members of Doom Machine. But whatever, man. This is you guys kick ass. I'll tell you what. Thank you. Hey, thanks, man. That new album is so good we've been getting a lot of really really great feedback on it it's uh it's kind of surreal this has been my first real like foray into recording and like distributing music i mean i'm not doing the distribution side but that's one (laughs) area but uh, i mean like I've, i've been a musician since i was like you know a kid but this is like my first real you know band that has like recorded music to put out into the masses so it's pretty pretty surreal we broke his band cherry on this one (laughs) (laughs) well i'll tell you what if i was in a if i was in a band this would you guys would be like the one i'd want to be in this and somewhere between the truth and the void would be the album i'd want to put out it's it's a it's a good amalgamation of everything that the band does because we do a little bit of like you know the doomy stuff we do a little bit of the more straight ahead rock stuff got a good mix of you know different vocal styles and stuff in there too so yeah it, it's literally kind of one of those like oh yeah it's like when bands say like oh this is a little bit of everything we've done but yeah this cl- cliche as it is it's true and plus this is sure. um like for me i mean i produced and uh mixed and mastered all of our albums the first three were kind of horrid sounding um, but uh <laughs> and, and i really didn't upgrade any equipment or or nothing like that it was just you know after a while you just get better at like the mixing and stuff like that so this is definitely our best sounding album yeah for sure for sure i lo- i love the the production quality and just the style of it in my review i said you guys kind of sounded like a mixture of cky Metallica and uh, Corrosion of Conformity. Well, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm 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 fans of two of those and two of the three of those bands, so works for me. <laughs> throw a little Motorhead in there for the fast ones because that oh yeah influenced that. Yes, that was the fourth one. I knew there was another one, but I just couldn't. Yeah, but you guys definitely have a unique sound. Yeah. Mm. So. You guys have been, um, well, the band has been around since 2007, right? Yeah, yeah. That's when I started forming it. Um, the lineup didn't actually start coming together until early 2009. And that's when I started working with um, Jason, our drummer. Again, he and I actually were in a band together 
back when we were like 19 and 20 years old. So um, yeah, he and I have known each other for like 25 years. So it's like, no, 30 years. It'll be 30 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we met in high school and uh, started working with uh, another guy who was actually the first person that we jammed with. And, and he played on a couple of our other albums, but uh, for Doom Machine as well. So it's like, so some people you just can't get get out of your life. <laughs> you always keep gravitating towards the same people. But... Was, uh, was, was that? Um... That was Colin. Oh, that was Colin. That was okay. Colin. Yeah. So that was the guy. That so Colin was the guy that I ended up replacing in kind of like tail end of like 20, 2019. 2018. Or 2018, right? Yeah, now. he left right after the last album came out. Um, he just needed a change and. Hmm. Took a step back and ryan stepped in so yeah i saw bill uh bill and i've been friends since probably around like 2013 2014 that ballpark yeah somewhere yeah, yeah. Uh, i saw on his facebook that he was doing an interview with another like local radio station and uh, one of his facebook posts said like oh so to those who heard that interview tonight we're, we're looking for a guitar player again and i'm like oh no because i saw they had like shows booked and everything so i'm like okay yeah what what's your set list like you need me to like fill in so you don't have to cancel bill was like nah shows are already canceled but hey, yeah. here's the songs to learn. <laughs> yeah. <Come> so. <laughs> but i mean we've been toying around with the idea of, of ryan join joining anyways like he's had that interest for probably four or five years yep. so um it was just uh where he was still going to school and stuff like that it was her i was like well there's no point in you even coming in if, if, if you're still unsure about your schedule yeah i yeah. was uh for uh, most of the like early part of the 2010s, I was uh, doing a Bachelor of Music at uh, Acadia University in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, where I now live. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, so then like partway, partway through that, I found Bill had posted an ad online like, hey, looking for a guitar player. I responded to that. And then we just kind of like started chatting that way. And that's how I even first heard of the band. So it was uh, kind of something that was always in the back of my brain, but uh, never really thought like yeah i'll message him make hey maybe i'll actually join this time and then like i think well, crap with their other guitar player hit the fan and i was like okay now's the time let's go <laughs> <laughs> wow so it's been a it's been a while in the making then yeah yeah it just slowly kind of came together yeah, yeah. Right place right time kind of thing yeah i was in the, the tail yeah. of my degree so my course load had lightened a lot um i had a lot more free time so i was able to say like okay like let's try and find a way to make sure that the band rehearsals work with my schedule and kind of juggle what needs to be juggled. Well, that's awesome. So I was wondering like how, how you were so like how the guitars were so good. And it's, I guess it's cause you went to university for music. Well, uh, I didn't go to university for or... guitar, ironically. Um, <laughs> I, I played, um, in like high school when I was in the, like, you know, the band program, I always played, uh, you know, like trombone and tuba and all these like, you know, low brass instruments. So that was what I studied at university uh, initially with the intent of being a, like a music teacher, but uh, just. Oh, found, really? Yeah. I've, as I've got more into like learning the ins and outs of what all is required for, you know, music education, I was like, okay, this is not for me. So, <laughs> you know, I, I just kind of was like, okay, we're just going to go a slightly different path here. But yeah. But I find that knowing knowing your way around one instrument can easily translate to another because I'm self-taught, you know, it's still kind of rough, but on keyboards and piano. Mm -hmm. And I never started playing guitar until after I was 30. So, really? 
Really? Yeah. And um, as soon as I picked up a guitar and then got into Les Pauls and Marshalls and I, I couldn't learn guitar because I'm a natural songwriter. Um, just these riffs, these slow, heavy riffs kind of kept coming out. And I, it's like every time I try to teach myself a chord or something like that, it would just be like, dun, 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 dun. So, <laughs> so basically, ever since I started playing guitar, I've been writing. And that's kind of how Doom Machine got going was just I, I was in another band that was playing like uh, more, I don't know, light rock. Yeah. And uh, I was a vocalist there. And then I was, Doom Machine was supposed to be a side project. And then the other one fizzled out shortly afterwards, and then this became the main project. It was meant to be then. Yeah, it, it just really, it all lined up pretty good. Yeah. Well, if I'm being honest, I'm pretty glad that um, that Doom Machine became your your main project, because I've really been digging your guys' music lately, nice. like I said I... before. So... On the topic of the new album, um, Between the Truth and the Void, what was um, your kind of process behind that entire album? And we can get more specific later, but what was like, you know, the creative process behind just the album in general? Yeah, uh, as a general kind of start with that, Bill is kind of does the lion's share of the the songwriting. Um and what will usually happen is when we're in like kind of, you know, the pre-production phase or whatever, he'll send out little, little demos as he has them. They'll have like vocals and guitar parts and whatever for us, uh, for me and uh, Jason to learn. They'll have drums as far as like where time signatures would change. But after that. Yeah. And so, yeah, we just kind of work on it that way. Um, sometimes Bill will be like, and when we're jamming on it, he'll be like, I don't know what to do after this thing. And that's usually where I'll have, like a, a little thing that I've been noodling on. And I'll be like, Hey, what about that? So, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a good relationship that way. Bill writes like, you know, the, the outline. And then I just kind of come in and do like some, a little bit of fine tuning and, and detail work. And then we just kind of just hash it out. But the album really started where, um, when I, I gave Ryan, you know, like five or six songs to learn. And he said, okay, I was jamming on the stuff and I came up with this riff and the riff was the beginning of the truth. And um, so uh, that song came together pretty quickly because I, it, it just happened that I had some uh, un unused bits or parts to other songs that never went anywhere. And it just, the song came together pretty quickly. And then I just had... Stop. Sorry, my, my, uh, <laughs> my wife is making homemade matzo sticks and we had a timer going. Oh, okay. I was wondering what that was. I was like, do you guys have a doorbell or something? <laughs> Time's up. Next question. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, so anyways, and then I had the idea of, well, between the truth and the void or somewhere between the truth and the void would be kind of a cool album title and maybe write a song called the void and then have like the truth on one side of it and the void on the other. And then, and, and then I was just like, well, I have this, the song idea and, and I want to call it somewhere. So we'll have like three, three title tracks. <laughs> And then, and then anyways, uh, Ryan made this wisecrack at band practice. Yeah, write one more and call it between. And I was just, and we were just like, ha, 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 ha. And then last song came along and I'm just like, somewhere between. Okay, there's our between songs. Now we got like, so that's why it's somewhere, <laughs> comma, 
between comma the truth and the void so it was originally <laughs> supposed to be just a sentence and then it became four title tracks <laughs> i was just like i don't think anybody else has done that so let's run with it yeah and all those those title tracks those were all my favorite songs off the album and well, you guys mentioned easy to remember yeah exactly exactly and you guys talked about the the riff from the truth and that was also coincidentally my favorite riff off the album nice there we nice. go yeah. those harmonics were just on point yeah that was like i said uh, bill gave me a song i can't remember which one it was but i screwed up the riff on it and i hit those two harmonics just that little i call them the doorbell harmonics because it's like be do so when i hit those i was like i gotta write something with that and they just like I said, I sent Bill the riff, and he was like the next and next day he sends me back. He's like, "So we got a song out of that." Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I get a part, uh, it usually doesn't take me long to assemble them. I'm really good at arranging, and uh, and you know, like if I hear something, I'm like, "Well, that sounds like it would be a pre-chorus because it sounds like it's building up to something or something else." It's just like, "Okay, yeah, we can build a song around that one," and then maybe something else. I'm like, "Okay, I don't know what to do with that." So. But, <laughs> most part i'm pretty good at identifying like what what where a certain riff could go in a song so it uh yeah so when he he sent me that i was just like okay that's definitely a song starter so came together pretty quickly yeah well that's awesome it, and like i said that track is an act is absolute banger and then um another thing i had another riff that i really liked as well as the harmony right after it was um on on the song somewhere that opening riffs like that chunky riff really drew me into that song and, and i really enjoyed it and then that like that harmony played or what yeah it, is oh, it a harmony yeah yeah that okay so, so an interesting thing about that song i originally wrote the beginning or had the song in a completely different key. But when I came up with that part that I just sang, and if any, and if anybody listens to the song somewhere, you will understand um, what part we're talking about. And I'm like, okay, I really want to use that in the song, but I have to change the key of the song. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just change the key of the song because that part's going to make it better. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's just like a little piece like that that can make or break a song. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and... and- and I think without it, it would have just been, you know, another wow. throw, like just a, just another song. But I think that really set it apart. Yeah. It, like even something just that simple really made it a lot more unique. Yeah. Yeah. When, when we were recording that one, um, just, uh, I always like to do what I call like the, like the ear candy tracks, like, you know, adding the harmonies and, and that kind of stuff. And if you listen really closely in that riff, I'm actually doubling the main melody part, but I'm doing it like with really hard palm mutes. So it's just this like little staccato thing. So it kind of sounds like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very subtle, but like when you take it out, you're like, okay, there's something missing here. And you put it back in. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, one of those little pieces of the song where there's like about like six tracks going on at the same time no. because we have just a little bit you know layered but i mean if you listen to professional recordings that they, they do that a lot yeah for you sure know? so so you guys are like up there with professionals 
<laughs> oh, well, I, I don't know about that, but, but we're trying to think more like, you know, no, I get where it saying. fits, you know, because like a song like Never Look Back, that's kind of like a motorhead fast kind of song. You just want it to be straight and simple, like oh, yeah. doing that, it doesn't make any sense. But a song like Somewhere that has uh, a lot of dynamics and, and, and it's heavy, then it's light, and then it's heavy, then it's light. It, you know, it, it um, you know, you definitely want to have like a, a few things in there that just, you know, kind of keep the song somewhat consistent while the dynamics are going. Like there's like a, you know, like during the clean part, there's a slight keyboard in that song. Yeah, you know, and 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 it's just slight because it, it just needs some little tiny thing in the background, yeah. and um, yeah, so so just little things like that. So so you know, like that's one thing that's fun about the studio is that you can experiment a little bit like that. For sure. Yeah, and was kind of like that as well. Where, but where another mistake song too. <laughs> where... <laughs> What happened with that one was like um as the song goes like we're adding more it's not like we're changing dynamics per se like it's all pretty straight ahead but we're adding different like little parts and little textures and stuff in there and i thought of that piece i was just like why don't you play like a little piece over there because i can hear something in the spot yeah and then i'm like oh okay, it kind of doesn't make any sense for it to be just at the end. I wonder if we can put it earlier in the song and we just happen to have a gap that it fit perfectly. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of some of the stuff that's like, I guess the, the benefit of working in a like a studio setting where you can kind of hear everything and you're like, okay, there's a gap right there that needs a thing. What do we got? And, and plus it's, it's a major bonus where we do the majority, like all the work in the band so then like we were adding and changing things in the solos when i was like already mastering other songs yeah you know so it was just like you know we'd be like you know ryan would say yeah i kind of didn't like the such and such part of a song and i'm like i said if you're going to change anything you better get it done now yeah. <laughs> you know because i mean i'm i'm ready to send the thing off like next week so yeah. it's like, <laughs> right down to the wire but yeah like I, I listened back to some of the the masters that bill bill sent me and i was like yeah there, there were some parts that i wasn't happy with so i had to just for my own you know kind of peace of mind i had to go back and redo it like the uh one of the only parts that i can think of offhand that i had to do that with was the start of the solo for uh throne of eternity i had this like really sloppy kind of bluesy thing at the start but i was like nah, i don't like it so i went back and added that little tapping bit at the at the start instead and i like that a lot better and i had a couple vocal parts that i did the same thing i was i was you know right down to the wire changing a couple things <laughs> sure <laughs> I, I get what you're saying i've done um i've never really recorded anything other than a few vocal things and i understand that a hundred percent the wanting to go and change it like even i i did a song and it got released and i cringe every time i listen to it because i wanted to i want to i wanted to redo it but i just i didn't get the time you know and i've heard professionals be like that i remember there was a i think the song the way it is by tesla if you know that he hates his vocals and and he was like cringing when it became a single and he's just like oh no i didn't like my vocal take on that and it's so it's you know professionals even had that happen for sure yeah well, if it, you know, it's an art, right? You yeah. want you want your creation to be as as good as it can be. Yeah. 
And it's like anything really, but yeah. Um, I, I know I asked, um, Ryan this earlier or uh, not, not really earlier, but a long time ago, <laughs> but I figured I'd ask you, ask you guys again, are you guys, um, possibly planning to do some, uh, guitar and bass demonstrations on the, some of the songs on the album? Cause I'd be pretty stoked to learn some of these riffs. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ryan probably could do yeah. something like that. I, I had originally, uh, I just like what we were going to do was, uh, like a couple of days or like a week or something before the album, uh, actually dropped. I was going to have a little broken crown tutorial, but, uh, just, I look back at the footage on it and I'm like, nah, I can do better. So I just didn't end up releasing it. But I mean, yeah, definitely. I, I love watching like guys on YouTube, you know, like Cole Roland or, uh, you know, other guys that are in, like, doing the YouTube thing with their original music and just watching them do the playthroughs to learn stuff. So it's uh, yeah, it, it's really interesting to see what happens and some even sometimes if there's even if you're not like breaking it down like part by part, it's still cool to see what they're doing so that you've got a visual aid to say like oh oh okay they're playing that part like higher up the neck where I was playing it you know down here. That's why I couldn't get it to sound right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it's been something that I've been wanting to do at some point so i'll, I'll have to I'll have to work on that and see if we can <laughs> yeah i was i'm i'm only asking because i'm not good enough to learn by ear yet and i love these songs so <laughs> uh it, it is a, a definite thing like when you're a guitar player or even a musician in general like learning how to play by ear it's something you have to definitely dedicate some time to for sure so and i mean uh, just a little tidbit to help you on that uh all of our stuff with the exception of like one or two songs is basically in it's all in drop c yeah okay uh, yeah i think there's on the album we have um what is it uh well actually this oh. album doesn't have as many drop c like songs actually in the key of c you know yeah. it, it actually has more like like it's got a it's more more, D more and... in g yeah but and, yeah, and then of course we dropped um, "We Are Your Doom Machine." We dropped that a half step, so we're actually playing. It, the tuning for the guitar is drop B, but we're playing the song like an E position, so it's like a C sharp key or something. Which kind yeah. of yeah. So I mean, live we're just gonna say screw it and do it in C, but you know. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of a question I had actually. Um, you guys talked about layering um some things in the studio. Mm-hmm. And having a bunch of different little things in there. How I've always had a question about how how you would play something like that live, or what would you do to, you know, make it sound as close as you can to the uh, original. Sometimes you just gotta pick and choose. Like when we yeah. were um, we were originally rehearsing um, uh, Broken Crown, and then I suggested, well, uh, the part before the solo, you know, that little part that we added in. I said to Ryan, I said maybe you should play that in that little spot just to kind of get it in there but but for the most part you just kind of play what kind of kind of play the the dominant riff that would be there or you know and i mean like that that's where it it was good to bring ryan in you know with his vocal ability because i've always done like some harmonies and stuff like that but a lot of times uh you know i wouldn't be able to do it live and uh, at least yeah. now we can like we can do that now live so um 
but yeah, as far as like the guitar playing or that kind of thing, we just kind of go with whatever's dominant or maybe a mishmash yeah. <laughs> of it. You know? that, that is definitely a struggle being where we're only a three-piece band. So you, like Bill said, you kind of have to like pick and choose like, okay, like when you're even writing and recording, you're like, okay, so what am I leaving on the album? What am I going to play live? You kind of have to like plan that out a little bit ahead of time too, so that you know, yeah. there's a way you can like maybe pick like kind of get a bit a piece of each thing to hybridize apart or something and then you know that's cool and then a song like somewhere we kind of knew that that wouldn't really get played live so yeah. so we're just like yeah okay let's just add <laughs> add stuff to we'll, this we'll go a little bit over <laughs> yeah because i mean like you know all the other bands we'd be playing with are probably heavier than us so it's like um you know like i, I mean our delivery is heavy but you know like we get played with like death metal bands and stuff like that even though we're technically more like a heavy rock band as yeah to, to metal but um it uh you know so so there's a song like somewhere you just can't make it fit in, in, yeah. in those kind of scenarios you know that's where a lot of people would probably be leaving the room but, <laughs> but uh actually my my friend jeff the guy that you uh, sent the album to out in bc yeah he his uh how he described it after he heard the album he sat down and he listened to it and he's like yeah i can hear all this like you know sabbath influence and all this like you know corrosion influence and all this other stuff he's like but really what i want what i call it is he goes i call it doom and roll yeah because he's like it's very doomy but it's still got a more straight ahead kind of rock thing going on so yeah oh that's like the perfect way to describe it yeah i, yeah. I dig that description yep mm-hmm. so on the topic of influences, I'm I'm sure a lot of them are obvious, like Sabbath and corrosion. But like, is there any influences you've had that in that you know cha- that influenced the album that people wouldn't expect from your style? I don't know if anything really. I mean, people that I work with because like uh, we're allowed to play music at work, and I'll be listening to like. Huey Lewis in the news one minute and then like brutal death metal the next. And I like, <laughs> and I like going from, I, I like those rapid changes because I get bored easy when I'm listening to music. Uh, so so it, it's, it's like, I have this huge melting pot of just stuff that I, that I always listen to. Um, but, you know, and then that comes out in the song. So, like, if I send Ryan, like, oh, here's three new songs, he has absolutely no fucking idea what's going to come out, <laughs> right? Like, it, he knows it'll sound like something I wrote. Yep. But it, it could be like, you know, like when I first wrote Throne of Eternity, I said, yeah, like this, I just wrote this, you know, kind of doomy song, but it's kind of got like an ACDC part and another part that sounds like Gojira, you know? <laughs> And yeah. so, you know, who, who in the world writes that kind of mix, <laughs> right? It's a giant clusterfuck. You never know what you're going to get with those demos. Yeah. And it, it's just, yeah. So, so there wasn't something that I listened to, or at least not something that I'm, I'm thinking of right now, where it's just like this completely, you know, influenced this. But I mean, like I, I've had um, song parts that there was a band that I listened to uh, well, it was it was one I was still writing the Let There Be Doom album that came out in 2017, and it uh, I had this one song called In the Shadow of You, and 
I was listening to a band called Godus. Um, and that uh, they were like a heavier band. And there was this one part that triggered me and I had not, and, and I got a riff from it. And I completely changed this rock song into this slow, heavy, doom, doomy song. And I just changed the song name to Shadow. And it's one of the better songs that we've ever done. So sometimes, you know, just hearing a brand new band for the first time can be like, ooh, I can hear this going a completely different direction. Yeah. And I'll have to like pause it because listening to something that I've never heard before will be like, oh, wait, no, no, they went in the total wrong direction. It should have went in this way and the riff should have went like this. And then I get a song out of it. That's happened to me before. Hmm. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's always been kind of the same, same things. I mean, like Ryan said, that some people thought that the song Regret kind of came out of nowhere. Um, it's just a, a single vocal um, piano song. Yeah. And uh, kind of like this lonely sounding song. And it's actually about, you know, you know, if I went back in time, you know, like, and I changed a certain, certain event, would, would I change, you know, like, and, and, and it's kind of really introspective lyrics, kind of like that. Yeah. But, but musically, I used to do that stuff all the time. It's just, it's coming out a little bit more and more um, in Doom Machine. Uh, Cause there was another song too called Megiddo off of uh, Let There Be Doom. And the first half of that was, was similar, but that one built up to a heavy part. Yeah. So um, it's just a, I don't know. It's just something that um, maybe I'm embracing kind of a little bit more of my full songwriting ability, but it's something that I used to do all the time. Mm-hmm. And um but I mean, like with, with the band now, I guess because you know that you're not going to do all the songs off a new album live. So you're just like, okay, well, we have a little bit of room to play with a few songs that wouldn't be played live. Yeah. But something that can add to the overall makeup of the album. And I could really hear that song going like, like fading down and then Broken Crown fading in. And uh, so, so little things like that I had heard ahead of time and in piecing them together and something like that. So, so sometimes you can do something like that that might be out of left field for some people, but it, it kind of has a more of a piece of a bigger puzzle on the Yeah, album. I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of the beauty of what, what the genre that you guys play. It's kind of like a like doom and roll. Well, doom kind of has a lot of tolerance for s- something from heavy to slow, right? Like if you listen yeah. to like an acid bath album, they, they've yep. got, they've got like those ballads, but they've also got like screaming, almost mm. death doom songs, you know? And psychedelic rock is a part of doom metal too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it there, yeah, it, it's probably got, got the biggest amount, you know, aside from, from, uh, uh, progressive, which just means we're just going to play whatever we feel like. <laughs> I'm, I'm on that progressive note. I made the joke with Bill because uh, with Broken Crown, the way that the riff was written, it's technically like the guitar part is in three and the drums are in four. So like we only really ever line up like every like four bars or something where we're kind of like all on time. 
<laughs> but I was like, oh, so we're, we're like a progressive doom band now. I kind of made that. <laughs> but I write the majority of my stuff, uh, uh, of the songs that I come up with in my head. So uh, I'm not like sitting down. So, so I hear like this stuff in my head. So me not having a musical degree and I don't know music theory, um, <laughs> I can kind of pull more abstract stuff out like that. Cause I've had arguments with people before that new music theory and they're like, Oh no, that, that note doesn't, that chord doesn't work with these other ones. So I'm like, let me just play it for you. And they're like, Oh yeah, that, that definitely works. See, you know, and I, I don't have like a, a limitation that, that, it can kind of do to some people see now i mean on that though i would argue like uh, i don't know who said it it was like it was one of the bigger guys like steve Vai or joe satriani or somebody like that who's a you know technical wizard beyond what i could ever hope to do on (laughs) but um yeah they said like the theory is like having the blueprint for what you want to do but he's like but then at the same time you can just totally like free form it it's like he's like theory isn't a way to like paint by numbers it's like you know do music by numbers right he's like this is like this is how technically it has worked and how it does work in a lot of cases but you don't have to stick to that like you but some people kind of in their mind it becomes a barrier yeah i mean yeah i mean like bands like that are kind of more stuck to a I guess more heavily formulaic style. I mean, like, you know, like some of the shredders or whatever, like, you know, like Ingve or whatever, the guy writes in like E harmonic minor all the time and just plays like, you know, Phrygian dominant licks over the top of everything just yeah. because it's like, oh, look how fast I can play as a guitar. It's just like, yeah. You know, like, if speed is a tool to have, but you don't want to rely on it all the time. Mm-hmm. For sure. And that's, uh, and that's, uh, I think, the downfall of so many bands, you know? And I think, you guys use that perfectly. Like I've been listening to like a lot of thrash metal lately. And a lot of the solos I realized don't fit. They just sound like they're trying to play fast, you know? And I think you guys balance that fast and that slow really well. And Mm -hmm. like with those fast solos that you guys have, they sound very, um, what's the word? Uh, It's on the tip of my tongue. Like, damn it i forgot it but like they're supposed to be there yeah it, it was intentional is kind of the... yes that was the word yeah <laughs> but because that's where like where i come from musically is i have a lot of like i do listen like i grew up like on a lot of the like the thrash stuff like the album that made me into a metalhead was you know as stereotypical as it is it was master of puppets so that was when I kind of started figuring out that, okay, you know, music can, can be aggressive, but still have, you know, a lot of melody. Like, cause I find even like with a lot of, a lot of like the big four stuff, their solos were intentionally crafted. So they kind of felt like they were supposed to be there. And, you know, yeah. when they put out, you know, like when Talica put out like, you know, like fade to black and like some of their more ballady stuff, like they got a lot of flack from guys in the, you know, in, in the genre, because they're like, oh, thrash metal doesn't do ballads, and you know, and then arguably, like, you know, some of those, like, slower songs with, like, more clean guitar and more clean singing, instead of just being, like, you know, pedal to the metal, like, you know, 220 downpicking all the time. <laughs> those are some of their bigger hits. Like, more people are going to recognize, like, you know, like, Fade to Black, Sanitarium, uh, you know, One. Uh, you know, they're going to recognize stuff from that more so than they're going to recognize, like, Whiplash. Mm, like, yeah, to a true. casual music listener, they're going to recognize more of the, 
radio, I guess the radio friendly stuff for. But also uh, um, one thing that should be pointed out, and it's kind of like me not knowing the music theory and stuff like that. I mean, Ryan isn't a natural lead guitar player. He, he started off more rhythm. So, mm-hmm. with, but with him being the only guitar player in the band, he, he had to figure out some guitar solos. So where he wasn't just able to just whip out, you know, solos for these fast songs, it forced him to be more creative. Mm-hmm. So, so and, and if anything, that, that was actually a strength. You know, sometimes not being able to do that um, right offhand. Now, I mean, he's gotten better at that. So he puts pieces, you know, um, in in certain spots, but he definitely doesn't have that crutch, Mm -hmm. you know, to just lean on. Oh, well, I can just, you know, do, you know, all these modes and and, um, triads and all this other stuff, you know, and just play them fast. It's like, no, I mean, it should be, you know, certain sections you know and then just like the song you have more of a dynamic in the solo itself yeah Mm -hmm. i also look at it too that i would rather have somebody be able to listen to one of my solos and even if they can't sing all of it i want them to have at least one little piece that they can have and they can kind of like you know sing along with it or hum along with it or whatever like uh, the the solo from from backlash for example like when i wrote that I was, it kind of, it's, it's entirely like pentatonic. So it's like not overly complicated at all, but it's bluesy. It's got groove and it's got those little like hooky bits in there that you can remember after you've heard the song. You yeah. Know, oh, okay. oh yeah. That, that little thing, kind of thing. Right. Like, you know, every blues like ever, but. <laughs> <laughs> and with yeah, our I solos think... too, it's, it's, it's an actual part of the song. So, so don't be just yeah. pulling something out of your ass mm-hmm. every single time. It's not like I show up to practice and it's just like, okay, normally the song's positive, but I had a crap day at work. So I'm going to change the lyrics to, you know, like <laughs> these, these guys, I play by feel. No, you're just too lazy to actually write a solo. You know, it, it's, that's all it yeah. is. And <laughs> no, seriously, I've had, I play by feel. Well, I don't sing by feel, you know, it's, it's, there's a certain part of the song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day too, about the, about the solos. And it's just, I realized a lot of people don't like the same music as I do <laughs> because a lot of it is very complicated. Mm-hmm. Other, other than the fact that, you know, I also listen to music that most people don't like. I don't listen to pop music. <laughs> so that cuts out about eight people I know, <laughs> but it's just the, the solos I think are the most important thing to make it enjoyable for someone. If someone mm-hmm. listens to something with a crazy complicated solo, they're not going to enjoy it as much as something with, you know, a solo that's a little bit more um, simple or, you know, understandable. My favorite solo of all time is actually Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue. His solo on that that Mick Myers did was perfect for that song. It, it's there, it's not technical. It's just exactly what that song needs. And then mm-hmm. when, who was it, Carrie Underwood did that cover of it. And there's like absolutely nothing in that, in that section at all. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> even bother. Bother, yeah. it, it's just <laughs> like. You know, and I realized that a country version of the song is not going to have the solo, but at least put 
something something there. in there yeah <laughs> yeah man <laughs> and yeah like and that's just it sometimes when you've got that perfect little piece that can take a song from like just an okay song to something that puts it like you know right over the top yeah and i mean like for for me one of like my other like perfect solos and a lot of people are like wait what because they didn't know it but the the first that really melodic solo in uh, master of puppets like Hetfield whipped that out of his back pocket and he's like, Oh, I'm not a lead player. And then he comes out and he plays this like perfectly melodic, emotive thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, yeah. Whoa. But again, he's not a lead player. So his limitation actually became a strength there. Yeah. Exactly. Where a lead player, something like, if, if something like, you know, Kirk would be like, Oh, I'll come up with something there. It might have been more complicated and not nearly as good. So it, it's, yeah. yeah. In, the, in the words of Bob Rock, impress me. <laughs> now there's that there's a scene from a year and a half in the life of metallica when they're doing the the unforgiven solo and uh kirk had an idea for the solo and bob didn't agree with it so bob just said okay go ahead and press me and then he played the exact solo that you hear on the black album huh. so, so so sometimes you know sometimes the guitar player actually is right <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah but um i have a on more moving away from the album itself i have a few questions just about your guys's just like your musical journey and stuff and like where where you started and how you got to be where you are is that cool yeah man all right so first question that I, i i like to ask is when did you start playing your instrument that you play now uh, okay. I already answered that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, the only reason Bill plays bass in this band is because we can never find bass players. It's always yeah. the hardest instrumentalist to find. Nobody wants to play the, you know, the the, the tool of ignorance that Blackie Lawless called it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the four string guitar. But uh, yeah, I started playing guitar when I I kind of picked it up by just by ear when I was around like twelve or thirteen. So I've been playing guitar for like geez almost 20 years now yeah wow but uh yeah i I mean like i started out with kind of like what bill was saying where i had i had a musical background prior to that where i studied like you know classical piano and uh a lot of like you know i was in a lot of choirs and stuff so i already had a pretty solid foundation before i even like picked up the guitar so that, that was definitely a little bit of an ace in my pocket as far as vocals for me um i i guess i was singing before i could talk uh my my sister and my mother would tell me that I'd be going around or well not going around but I'd be just kind of sitting there going gee, 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 you know so I was, <laughs> I, I was just connected to music just right off the bat you know yeah. so, and then as far as like actually playing bass I got my first bass in 2010 and that was when I, I officially made the switch huh well that's awesome so you guys you guys have always just been musical. I think that's like yeah. the yeah, basically yeah. Yeah, I think that's the best recipe for a good band. And I think for the most part, most musicians are yeah, you know, like real musicians. Um, and I, when I say real musicians, I mean like people that are dedicating a lot of their time to to music. Um, you know, I mean there are some people that are just like, oh, I'd like to learn to play an instrument, and that doesn't make them any less of a, of an instrumentalist. But I think that there's a difference between, like, say, someone that can write a song and a songwriter. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like I am a songwriter because I constantly drive myself crazy, like with these random song ideas, you know, like going through my head and stuff like that. And <laughs> so I'm not so much of an instrumentalist. I'm a songwriter, but I play instruments to get that to get the uh, point to, across. To, to yeah. get it empty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well that oh my god. I'm just getting notifications steady. Sorry about that. It's it's just interrupting my it's slowing down my internet actually. Oh jeez. The, the joys of yeah. the social media age, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um what was your guys I know um Ryan said it was uh, master of puppets but bill what was your first exposure to like heavier music oh actually we i, I was telling this to ryan earlier um my sister gave me a uh, i don't know how old you are but <laughs> it, i'm it, uh, it, i'm six what was that i'm 16 okay so 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 this is gonna be way before your time <laughs> but uh here in canada that they they would put out like a big thing in the 70s and into the early 80s where these comp compilation hits slash you know records and tapes that would come out she gave me something when i turned uh six years old um called rock 81 and it had you know like you know pat Benatar and stuff like the heart um stuff that was yeah. relevant back then but it had Rush uh, Limelight. And I had okay. never heard a guitar tone like that because all I had ever heard was like, like stuff that my, my sister and my, my father were playing like ABBA, Beach Boys, Waylon Jennings' Greatest Hits, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. that. That was what I knew. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden I'm hearing this, -na -na -na, you know, and that's just like, what is this? I like this. And that immediately, I, I wanted to hear more. So then I started, you know, getting getting more into that and paying attention more to, to that kind of music. So then when Van Halen released in 1984, I was just like, ooh, I like this. So the sound of yeah. the guitar um, in Rush's Limelight was really what grabbed me. Listen to the story for everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's usually yeah, you know, for real. And I'm not like I'm that? not even joking for real though. Yeah, like that, like that's exactly not the same song, but you know that's kind of exactly how I got into in into heavier music too. So it's it's always someone in your family. <laughs> yep. In in a way, yeah. I mean, like you know, my sister, she she had followed more of the pop music and i mean i i still like a lot of the stuff that came out in the 80s because i heard it on the radio and so stuff yeah. that i grew up with um but um it, it was there that she had given me that record and then after that i started veering off you know and then like for christmas instead of asking for like you know michael jackson i was asking for like motley Crue and twisted sister and stuff like that so and and of course yeah. that was before i had gotten into like you know metallica and megadeth and those bands mm -hmm. later on for sure yeah. yeah and ironically though just as a quick interjection before your next kind of question like you say like oh it's always like somebody in your family that got into heavy music ironically nobody in my family listened to anything heavier than like you know maybe like boston or like kansas you know that kind of stuff so really like, yeah like i mean like like my mom and dad kind of uh, like I come from a very 
I'm not going to say conservative, that's the wrong way, but I come from a very predominantly, you know, Christian household. And so most of the yeah. stuff I'd be listening to would be like more, you know, like Hillsong and, uh, you know, like all these other like, you know, Christian contemporary artists. So it's very, you know, kind of light poppy almost. And then uh, just when, you know, the only like real, like, I guess, rock stuff I would hear would be like stuff from on the radio or if friends gave me CDs to listen to, or, or like if we watched a movie and there was a, like, you know, uh, like a rock tune in there or something. But uh, yeah, and then I found out just one day when I started getting into like more of the harder stuff, my dad comes out with me. He's like, oh yeah, he's like, I used to listen to Striper back in the day. And I was just like, Striper? <laughs> he was like, <laughs> it, it, he's like it, it's a weird combination. It's Christian glam metal. And I'm yeah. just kind of like, Okay. That made it into, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can laugh all you want. They actually made it into the mainstream, and I mean, like they oh, yeah. were they were on tours. Oh yeah, I know, I know them. Back yeah. in the day, so I mean, oh, yeah. the fact that they even broke through like that. Oh yeah, is different. And they and they're they're one of those bands that there a lot of people crap on them because of you know their religious affiliations, but they still write some solid tunes. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, well, that's well, that's how a lot of. I guess yeah. I've I've heard when I've talked to people, it's either they've had someone in their family get them into it, or they're or no one in their family listened to heavy music. I suppose. Well, for me, it was, it was both though because my sister didn't listen to it, my dad didn't. Well, yeah, I guess. Mom didn't listen to but it. it. Happened to give me a record that had it on it. <laughs> kind of like a fluke, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. It's um. Yeah, I I know exactly what you're saying cuz my like my entire family they're really big country fans. Oh, okay. But also at the same time my dad got me into like Metallica and Sabbath and Oh no, my he got me into Metallica and Sabbath and Alice Cooper and stuff and then my uncle he got me into like Pantera and Megadeth and then I went from there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Down the groove yeah. the hole. Yeah. For sure, man, and that, and then, that's when it got really weird. And I, yeah, but you uh, go but, from I mean, Kat, like you kind of have an advantage over what say I did because I mean, like, there was no YouTube, there wasn't anything like that. If you didn't read about a band, yep. or or um, a lot of my tape collection came from like either Columbia House where you could <laughs> like get 16, 16 tapes for a penny or whatever. And uh, yeah. so that was a big thing. And then there was a school teacher. He would go out and buy, that's who I got Metallica and Megadeth from. He would go out oh, and yeah. buy, buy tapes. And, and then at the flea market, so I'd beg mom for like five bucks and I'd come back with like a Tesla and Alice Cooper and a couple Metallicas, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, and he'd just listen to it a couple times and then sell it. You know, it was great. That's awesome. Yeah. No, it's funny that you say that that your um your teacher did that, and um I was just thinking I actually have a teacher who got me into some some of the heavier stuff too, ironically, because like who thinks that their teacher listens to Slipknot, you know? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like my math teacher, he well he's also my history teacher. He was telling me about like he was listening to Slipknot and stuff, and I'm like, you listen to Slipknot? Yeah, what? like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's just like this middle-aged man with like three kids. Well I, well, I guess he's a little bit younger than that. But he's like, you know, he's in his 30s. He's got like three kids. And they're like, you're not supposed to be that cool. 
I just remember he would have been like 10 years old or something when Slipknot first came out, right? Like, yeah. yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they started in like late 90s, right? 1999 was when I first heard them. So, yeah, so I would have been eight. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I, I'm like the oldest member of the band, so I'm, I would have been like 24. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, speaking of Slipknot, I just thought of something. I just realized this. I listened to... I was into death metal before I was into Slipknot, which mm-hmm. I just realized is kind of weird. Yeah. Seeing as, like, most people listen to Slipknot, then go to death metal. Well, it all... Yeah, it kind of all depends on where you're... What end of the spectrum you're starting on. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. If you're starting more from a groove perspective, I could see the Slipknot coming first. Yeah, but if you're into like 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 you say, um, if you're coming more from like the British new wave of British heavy metal and Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, more of that technical classical kind of mm-hmm. almost influenced stuff, I could see you going to death metal first. Yeah. Because heavy metal is was, really was... divided into two sides. Both came from England. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, one's more classical based and the other one's more blues based. Sure. So, so it all depends, and Slipknot would be more on the blues based side, really. That's a weird thing to say, but I mean, technically, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, because they they don't do like a lot a lot of their riffs are just chords, right? Yeah, and yeah. So so I mean, that's where like a lot of the blues would be coming from, as yeah. opposed to like your Ingve Malmsteen kind of approach, where you're doing like a lot of, you know, I mean, you watch Dave Mustaine playing, and here he is singing something, and it's just fingers are just all over the place, like he's not playing. <laughs> I don't know how that man does. Yeah, him, him and Getty Lee both are freaks of nature. Like I can, I can, I can barely play like three chords and sing. Yeah, he's got, he's just shredding and singing. Yeah, yeah. Or it's like Alexi Laiho from from Bodum. Like before he passed away, he was doing that same thing where he would be. Like oh yeah, melody lines and like just screaming over top of everything. But like, if you listen to most songs, and we're talking in the high ninety percent, a song gets simpler during the verses and it's for that purpose most people and i myself am am included Mm. um cannot play something complex and sing because most of the time your vocal line is going to be going different than your riff line in order for it to to overlap you know and and be pleasing to the ear yeah um you know some songs will work where you're doing the exact same stuff but very few do so that's the reason why most songs like the verse will do something simple and then, or there might be like a little technical riff in between the lines, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, yeah. that's just most people are built like that. Mm. Your brain can only do so much at one time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's basically like, I remember Matt Haiti from Trivium said that too, where he's like, you gotta like learn what you can do technically. And he's like, you know, for verses, he's like, I'm not going to play these crazy like sex tuplets and try and sing like, you know, dotted quarter notes over the top of it or something. Yeah. He's like, you got to, like, make sure that what I'm doing vocally lines up with what I'm doing rhythmically for the riff underneath of it, too. I just thought yeah. of something, though, because if you did do something something complicated and then try to sing that very complicated thing after that, you basically got static X. That... <laughs> <laughs> that's what he does. I just oh, realized yeah. that's static yeah. X. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, sorry. No, I under. <laughs> That's it. every day, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, anyways, <laughs> I've just totally ruined yeah. the interview. I think. <laughs> you made it better. <laughs> oh. oh wow! It, yeah, that caught me off guard. Uh, kind of caught me off guard too. But I just, <laughs> I just listened to Wisconsin Death Trip like two days ago at work, so <laughs> that's why it was kind of fresh in my mind. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, now I have to read. Now I have to listen to that album. Yeah. Now that you remind me of it. <laughs> well, I I'm guessing that this is um about where we should end it. It's a, it's about been an hour. Yep. And. If you guys have anything else to say, uh, say it now. You know, if you have any other comments or things you want uh, my listeners to know where we can find you, just stuff like that. Uh, you can find us on Spotify and the majority of the streaming platforms. Um, if you want to order a physical copy of the album, you can go to doomachine.bandcamp.com. Uh, and we also have shirts and other merch on, on there for sale. Yeah. Oh my god. Um I was gonna say we've and like if you want to follow us, we do uh well at least Bill and I have Instagram profiles. Facebook. Yeah, and we're on Facebook too. Um for any listeners who are of legal drinking age, uh <laughs> I have a uh, <laughs> I have a craft beer blog that I run on Instagram called uh, Day Off Draft. So if you wanna follow in on that and check out some cool beers from uh, the east coast of canada that's basically where i've been where i focus my stuff so yeah we do that uh my instagram for the band stuff is just doom machine Embry, which is my last name e-m-b-r-e-e for the last name and uh bill is just doom machine band i'm pretty sure for his instagram handle yep. so that's all right one. yeah i'll leave i'll leave some links to your guys's stuff for my <laughs> listeners yeah um I tell this to everyone, but I really do mean it. If you guys want to come back on the show anytime, please just hit me up. I'd be glad to get you back on. Because you guys are pretty cool. Writing writing has actually already started for the next album, so maybe in a couple of years when we yeah. release that. All right. Yeah, well, like I said, anytime, just hit me up. Can't wait to um can't wait to hear some new stuff from you guys. Right on. Looking forward to putting it out. Yep. All right. All right. Um I'll see you guys later. Hey, Thanks so much for coming on. Bye-bye. Bye.
And you just heard Truth by, or The Truth, rather, by the band we just interviewed, Doom Machine. These guys, like I said, really awesome, and you could tell by the interview. They're really cool guys. And if... And if you don't check them out, then you suck. Yeah, so anyway, I'm really glad to have had those guys on. Thanks for coming on, guys. And um, if you ever want to come on again, I, well, I told you this on the interview... But when you're if and when you listen to this, if you ever want to come back on again, let me know. We can, you know, hang out. Um, why is there a clicking in my? No, oh, it's still there. Oh well. Um. Anyway, I mentioned in the first segment something that I was going to talk about later. Um, has anyone else been, like, well, I'm, I guess I'm talking to, like, thin air here, but, has anyone else been having, like, really weird deja vu and, and dreams and stuff? Like, yeah, dreams are weird, but, like, really strange dreams. That they're like really vivid or more vivid than normal and stuff. And, you know, just. They just. They may not be weird as in content, but just strange as in just the way that they're portrayed, I suppose. Or just the way that they feel. They don't feel right. You know, they're just. Like I said, they're just strange. They're just weird. And like I said, I'm I'm uh, talking to thin air, thin air here. But if you if you're um, having the same things, let me know. And like I said, uh, 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 deja vu as well. I've been having some really strange deja vu. And for those of you who don't know, it's that it's like that feeling you get. When you're doing something, it feels like you've done it before, but you can't quite place it. Like, um, I'll give you an example. I was doing a report in science class about kayaks, or I was doing the research for it, at least. And when I was doing it, I had this really, really weird sense of deja vu. Like, it felt like I've been doing this before. And at that point, it felt, like, exactly like a dream. And, like, when I say exactly like a dream, I mean to a T. You know that weird feeling that, like, you don't realize it in a dream. But you realize there's a feeling that you have in your dreams. And it's just, like, you're always feeling it. And I'm not sure if I'm making sense here. But I'm just trying to get my idea out to kind of just discuss it. And it's just like, 
like I said, it's something you don't realize until after, but it just, when you have deja vu, it just hits you like a, like a train, and you, and for like 30 seconds, you're just so dazed, and you don't know what to do, and you like, and you just sit there, not knowing what to do, and it's just strange, and then when you think back, you're, you realize, like, there's, there's no reason for me to have felt this or thought this at that time because it was a fake, like, the, it, I haven't done that, and sometimes maybe you have, but a lot of the time it's just, it feels like you've done it, but you haven't. As well, it, it, it also felt like a dream in the sense that, it, have you ever, like I said, talking to thin air, but have you ever had a dream and you, like, fabricate memories in a sense that, like, it, it gives context to your dream and the way, and it kind of just makes your dream make a little bit more sense? And that one example I gave you of me working on that report, I had the same feeling. For some reason, I felt that I had done an interview with someone on my podcast. And in fact, I believe it was in my memory, or that, that fake sort of memory there, that it was with Andre um, from a few episodes ago that me and him had some sort of discussion about kayaks and, like, why they float. But like I said, that never happened. At least not to my knowledge, that never happened. And then, um... It just, it, it felt like a real memory at the time. But as the the deja vu kind of like just wore off, I kind of realized that that did not happen. And it it was it just felt so strange, and I. Like I said, I I have no idea what it was or why it happened. And and like I said as well before, I, I might just be crazy. You might just be listening to this and, and I might not be making any sense. Well, maybe not crazy would be the term. But just talking about nothing, you know? Maybe I'm not making any sense. But if what I am saying is making sense to you, let me know. And answer it, and let me know if you've been having some, uh, some weird feelings like that. As well, why is my... As well, I noticed... That my my microphones are crackling. As well, I know I have. Sorry, one sec. I guess I just got plugged these in. As well, I noticed that um uh my uh, my sleeps have been a lot different lately. 
And I'm not the, the only one who's noticed this. I was actually talking to one of my friends the other day. And um, they said that they had the same thing. Their sleeps have just been a little weird and off lately. So at least it's not just me, but regardless, it's just strange. Maybe. And the and some people, and I've noticed that people that I've talked to about this thing... I've been like, some of them have said yes, some of them have said no, and there's like common factors between these people, like there's similarities. But yeah, anyway. Anyway, I gotta go. Um, thank you for listening to Phenomena Nation's podcast. I've been Max Pichette. Leave a five-star review if you could. Go check out our, all our links. Go follow us on Instagram. And all that fun stuff. And we'll see you next week.